So, how's your Lent series going? You know, it's the 40 days or so before uh, Easter that we use as to kind of prepare ourselves for the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. And I love this Lent series, this preaching series so far, because we're kind of looking at some maybe more untraditional uh, practices. We have uh, self-compassion, stillness, radical organizing. Um, and these are practices that are pretty cool, and they energize me and point me towards God instead of my own kind of self-performance. So I think it's been really cool how we've had a chance to explore these different things. Um, so it's my hope, as I share this morning, that you would likewise be encur- encouraged and motivated to try some of these different practices. Um, I'm going to open with a quick prayer. So if you bow your heads with me. Father God, uh, we just ask for your presence here today. Holy Spirit, come. Just listen to our words, to my words, and help them land with people where they need to land. Uh, We just thank you, God. We're humbled by your sacrifice for us, and we just thank you. Amen. Okay, so I have a confession to make. Don't worry, it's not that big of a confession. Uh, I have never done CrossFit. Now, what's CrossFit, you might say? Well, it's almost like a religious experience if you've ever talked to someone who does CrossFit. I mean, it's like push-ups and lifting weights and doing all this stuff. And also, I know about it because even though I've never been, is because I've been on social media before. And maybe you have friends who are on social media who share about CrossFit. But I have never been to CrossFit. And I was like, well, what's the, what's the distinction? What's the difference? Why isn't it just a regular gym? What's so popular and awesome about CrossFit? Like, what is it, the secret sauce? And it seems like, from what people have said, that the biggest difference between CrossFit and just a regular gym is community. It's doing it with other people, it's connecting, and it is a whole other level of kind of commitment, if you will. But don't just take my word for it. Allie, a random woman from the internet, once said this. <laughs> my CrossFit box is everything to me. I've met my boyfriend, some of my best friends, through CrossFit. When my boyfriend and I started apartment hunting this spring, we immediately zeroed in on the neighborhood closest to our box, which is what they call their gym even though it would increase our commute to work. We did this because we couldn't bear to leave our community. At our box, we have babies and little kids crawling around everywhere, and it has been an amazing experience to watch those little ones grow up. CrossFit is family, laughter, love, community. I can't imagine my life without the people I've met through it. Hey, that kind of sounds like our church, I think. This quote uh, actually comes from a study from two Harvard seminary students called, entitled, How We Gather. And in this study, Uh, The researchers look at how unaffiliated folks, those folks who don't affiliate with religion or church, even though they might believe in a higher power, on where they're going to connect with community because they're not plugging into church. And so uh, this paper, you know, might be a bit anecdotal, and uh, hardcore researchers that we have at this church might question some of its methodologies, but I don't bring it up to really prove exactly what millennials are doing. But I bring it up because I think this paper sheds light on some of our core desires that we have as humans, and that is community. Connecting with other people in a real and meaningful way where we feel that we belong and that we are seen for who we are. When we don't have community, we long for it. And when our community is good, we can't imagine our lives without it. We want to be seen by others, and we want to see others. We are social people. Just like Allie from CrossFit, we talk about about community being family, laughter, love, and community. We want these things. But I think apart from just wanting community for community's sake, community is also a way in which we connect to God and to what God has for our lives. So the theme for this Lenten series is 
What's, um, in what spiritual practices are you connecting with Jesus? And what I want to talk about today and what my experience has been is that I am encountering Jesus through the spiritual practice of community. So this morning, as we look at the spiritual practice of finding God in community, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, which should be up here, um, verses um, 12 through, I think, 31. Now, it's a little bit of a long passage, so bear with me. I'm going to read it, um, but I think reading the whole thing kind of helps, and uh, so your patience is appreciated. Okay, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts are one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one, but many. One part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they are all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other, and if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, teachers, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Whew, okay, we did it. <laughs> Reading this passage, there are three points that I want to discuss together this morning. And the first is this, and your first blank on your bulletin, which I know everyone's very concerned about getting all the blanks correct. The first point is this, God works in community. So God works in community. And I'll just touch on this point briefly. Let's look at this passage. Verse 12 the body is a unit that is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Now, this is a pretty famous passage, at least in Christian circles. And Paul, the author, is one of the founding fathers of the church. He's writing this letter to the group of Christians, believers at Corinth, which is an ancient city in Greece. Um, two of his letters to this church have ended up in the Bible, as First and Second Corinthians. First Corinthians covers a lot of topics, but the overall theme of Paul's letter is on how to be the church. And to that end, Paul addresses squabbling and misconduct among the Corinthian, um, Corinthian Christians. With this, with this letter, Paul was trying to guide, shepherd, and pastor them from afar. We see in chapter 12, verse 12, that God takes a complete view of the body. Although there are many parts, it is one body. And although there are many individuals, there is one church. 
This is important because the work of each body part only makes sense in the context of the whole. Think about it. If an eye sees a part from the body or the brain, what happens? Or the ears, what do they hear? The parts in of themselves don't make sense. I have this image of a children's book. I'm a dad of almost a four-year-old, and we're expecting our second, so a lot of references in my brain right now just end up being like children-themed. <laughs> so, of course, uh, reading this verse just makes me think of like ears and eyes as little like people, you know, like they're like children book characters, right? When Paul's writing this, like, look at these body parts. They're just little people. And you get a sense of like, you know, there's an eye maybe uh, crossing the street and the, uh, the ear yells out, hey, watch out. And then the ear and the eye says, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. <laughs> sorry, that's a bad joke. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, all right, we know. <laughs> You know, the bit gets better when you, you know, the more you do it. So maybe next time we'll have it a little bit improved. Um, But in a similar way, when we view God as just working in our own lives or maybe just our small little community and we don't see how God is working in a bigger, broader context, it's kind of like viewing the work of God as just these silly little characters, right? Um, So uh, the body works together. All these parts are supposed to work together and work in context, And this is just looking at the body analogy that Paul says here. It's not, uh, without going down the rabbit hole of every time in the Bible, God works in community. Um, But a few other examples real quickly. You know, you have Matthew 18, verse 20, where Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, here I am. Or the fact that almost the entire Old Testament is about God saving the entire nation of Israel. You have the Holy Trinity, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, living connected, being in community. Uh, You have Jesus with all his disciples, not going it alone. The work of God happens in context and in community. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't move in very personal, individual, and maybe even private ways. And I see see the scripture that these moments, though, um, are movements of the Spirit, are these little streams kind of flowing together into this mighty river of what God is doing. So this is going to transition us to our second point. So looking at the scripture, we see that God works in context. He works in community. Um, And this brings me kind of more to the personal point, which is, or second blank, is that I need community. Okay? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 again. Excuse me. Oop, losing my microphone. All right. Your patience is appreciated. Thank you. Okay. The eye does not say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body seem to be weaker or indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Reading this verse, I get the sense that Paul is almost flabbergasted that something that seems like such a slam dunk is even up for debate. Paul says, imagine the eye saying to the body, I don't need you, body. I'm fine. I'm an eye all by myself. How can the eye do what it's supposed to do? How can it do what it's designed for? Now, I think sometimes reading this verse in Corinthians, it's really easy to see Paul say all these lists and think to ourselves, well, that's cool, John, but really what this verse is about and what I think is like, what box do I get? What label do, what label am I? You know, where do I fit in? What piece of the body am I? And I think um, that, uh, you know, we might think to ourselves, hey, you know, I'm an I, that's cool. I get to see things, you know, or we might think to ourselves, hey, I'm like a pair of hands and they get to do all this labor stuff. Or maybe you're feeling a little bit like I'm an appendix. I'm kind of here, but I don't know why, you know, I'm sure there's a reason I'm part of the body, but no one's really figured it out yet. 
you know, we want it, we, we, it's just our human nature to think, like, what, what rank am I? Like, where do I come from? You know, where do I fit in? Um, but maybe you're thinking, I want a career change, right? Like, I've been an elbow for a while, uh, but I'm going to pivot to a new career, maybe start being like a knee, right? It's like a similar skill set, but kind of a different industry. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I don't bring up the points of this verse to just say that this is like a spiritual Meyer-Briggs, right? That, you know, the Meyer-Briggs is that famous test that tells you if you're an introvert or an extrovert, amongst other things. Um, But the point of these verses, I think, is to understand that everything that's happening is happening in this larger context, the one body of Christ. Uh, We find God, you know, when we find the work of God in community, we find kind of ourselves, and we see the work of God in community. Just as the eye needs the body, I need community. So whether we articulate it to ourselves or not, we long for community, for belonging, for understanding that we are actually part of something larger than ourselves. Paul's verse gives us comfort that, yes, I am part of something larger than myself. I do belong. I am part of the body of Christ. In fact, I am the body of Christ. Therefore, it is less about finding our labels and more about realizing and seeing ourselves in the bigger picture. Now, in my experience, I've... um, I feel like I really need community in order to fully experience the work and the love of God. And sometimes what happens to me when life is getting hard and tough is that I avoid withdrawal or I shut down community. And it keeps me from experiencing the fullness of God's love. And as I get bogged, some, bogged down, sometimes instead of reaching out to community for support, I think I can press through my circumstances alone and I shut down the very thing that can bring life and God's love. I think somehow, uh, once I get it all figured out, that's when I'll participate in community. That's when I'll be vulnerable. That's when I'll connect with people. I know I've seen this play out in my life acutely over the last year or so. Recently, my family moved into a new house that we spent about a year renovating. Whoop, whoop. So thank you, uh, all our friends and our family in this church who helped get it done. Uh, it was a big project. Uh, it wasn't easy for me or my wife. My, still my wife, which is good. <laughs> it was stressful. It was stressful, wearisome. Um, Did we bite off more than we can chew? Probably. Uh, But we made it. We live there now. Praise God. And it was stressful for a lot of reasons uh, for both my wife and I because we were working our day jobs. We were trying to parent our daughter, um, maintain our commitments to this church, uh, being in constant communication with our contractors and all that stuff, the financial stress. And oh yeah, actually doing the do-it-yourself, making sure you went from doing to getting it done. Um, There were times when I chose to uh, keep working instead of choosing to engage with community. And I thought, like, um, so I was balancing these things, but really I was just kind of kept working instead of engaging with community, and that kind of stunk. I think that I couldn't get the, I think I thought I couldn't get the work done, like, if I just took the time to stop and connect with others. I would choose to miss Sunday mornings or not text back friends or not get togethers where others were. Um, And sometimes I even neglected uh, my closest community, which is my wife. Now, of course, there are times when we have to say no, and we can have boundaries, and we don't have to have FOMO about always connecting with everyone. But I realized that I experienced God's grace the times I did choose to let community in, times that friends came over to help uh, doing demo, painting, work, lifting heavy stuff. And, uh, you know, if I didn't let others in to help, I would never have known that Charlene Jones can sing every single word to a Boys to Men album. Pretty much any album, I think. How did you not know that? 
There's only one way to truly experience it, though. So there was a time in the house we were painting, and Charlene, thankfully, was helping paint, which was awesome. And I was cleaning up outside, and it was warm, so the windows were open. And I could just hear Charlene singing every single word. And uh, that's really a priceless, priceless memory, you know? It really kind of made it all worth it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Charlene. But I also experienced the Holy Spirit through community. For example, when we had just purchased this house, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed. So we asked for prayer, and the prayer team prayed for us, and I felt encouraged by those prayers, and we felt the Holy Spirit in them. But then later that same morning, without being on the prayer team or knowing otherwise, Andrew Richardson, thank you, Andrew, uh, he saw me upstairs by the children, and he said, hey, Jonathan, like, I got a sense that God was telling me, go tell Jonathan that he's got you and that everything's going to be all right. And I thought that was pretty cool that the Holy Spirit would use Andrew like that and that he would be kind enough to tell me that impression. And I would love to say that, oh, I got this word of God, so it just took away all my stress and everything was totally fine for the rest of the project. That didn't quite happen, but it was super encouraging. And it happened in community. I couldn't have done these things all by myself. I needed the people around me. I needed the people in this church. I needed community. So I'm learning that sometimes when I need to connect with God, I need to connect with community. And this brings me to my final point, which is that just as I need community, my community needs me. The body needs all its parts. Let's keep looking at 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 27 says, Now, you are the body of Christ. Each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then a gift of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work in miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in the tongues or interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Why does Paul end these verses with imploring folks to desire their greater gifts? I don't think it's for the ego of the church members so that people can say they have these amazing gifts. But I read this as saying that these gifts are good for the community, for the church. The body needs all its parts, but especially its vital organs, its lungs, its stomach, its liver, its heart. The good news is that God gives us what we need. But reading this verse and our own experience of being persons of faith is that God uses us in establishing this good work on earth. The work may be local and personal, connecting with just one person, or it could be this global phenomenon of community you're connecting with. Uh, It's a relationship that makes sense. The parts need the body, and the body needs the parts. You can't really have one without the other. So what does it mean that my community needs me? Well, I think Paul's litany of positions and gifts of the spirits and so forth means that there's so much room in the tent of community. For some, it might be involvement, uh, you know, being big and dramatic or at least visible, like leading a community or uh, taking an active role in guiding and organizing it. Now, I don't think we have to limit our view on community and when I talk about community as just church. I think we can think broadly, broadly about it because we can meet God in all circumstances, not just in this church or any church, really. Um, I know a lot of folks put, them, put themselves into their work community, their nonprofit, their social justice missions, their different ministries, their kids' schools, recreational sports, the arts, uh, music, so on and so forth. I think it's possible that God is calling, it might be possible that God is calling you to step up into an active role in in leading, creating, or sustaining these communities. However, um, that doesn't have to be all our roles, leading that is, and roles change. So some roles might be as simple as showing up, 
being available, showing up with the intention of trusting others with yourself, with your vulnerability, of letting yourself be seen and seeing others for exactly how God's created them, their unique passions, quirks, features. Now, community can be messy if you didn't know that. Uh, hello. <laughs> but I think this is a feature, not a bug. Because it is really in the mess that God can show his love for us and others and for us to know what it is to be loved. So when I say um, my community needs me, I'm saying as a fellow person that I need you to be in my life, to be my community, because I can't and I don't want to go through life alone. So many folks in this church really stepped up when Brad was on sabbatical. I think this is a great example of people um, meeting the needs in their community. So first of all, thank you if you've done that, if you stepped up or if you've been helping out in this church. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And the second thing is people have told me thank you for different things, and it means a lot. It's really awesome when someone comes up to you and says, hey, thanks for doing that. It's really encouraging and wonderful. So if you see something, say something, okay? <laughs> Feel free just to say thank you. Like, you don't have to overthink it. You can just do it. Um, and you guys might have noticed that Bull Brad was out, I had a chance to step in and help out with worship. I literally got like text messages like, hey, can you help out with worship? And I was like, okay. So, but um, I think without a doubt though, it's only been from the encouragement of the folks in my small group and this church that let me feel comfortable just to hop up and share and participate in worship. See, music is something that I really love. I love singing, playing music, turning things up to 11, or percussing, and that's when I n fidget nervously, and my wife is like, you're percussing again. <laughs> I sing on my bike ride home. I hum around the office. I literally whistle while I work. Okay, not quite that drastic. But, but sharing or performing music for me can be, and maybe you feel similarly, extremely vulnerable. I worry that I'm off-key, out of tune, too slow, too fast, offbeat, and not like in a cool, jazzy kind of way. And as I reflect on it, thankfully, like, I don't think I have anything too traumatic in my past, but there is one share, st story I want to share with you. When I was in sixth or seventh grade, I went to this small Christian elementary school, and we were going to have a class choir end-of-the-year musical thingy. Our class was small, like 20 kids, maybe 10 boys. And there was, uh, I think, three kind of solo parts for the boys, but you had to try out for them, and you had to, you know, get in front of the class to sing. You couldn't just get, like, defaulted in there. So I figured, you know, I got, like, a one out of three shot. That's pretty good. And, I, of course, if you've known, if you met me before, you might think, hey, Jonathan, he seems pretty confident. And, like, he probably was not a shy kid. And you're right. I was not a shy kid. <laughs> and if you don't believe me, you can actually ask my wife, Brianna, because she was there. <laughs> we go way back, if you don't know. Um, I met her in fifth grade. So, so I uh, was like, I want to I do the solo part. Like, that sounds awesome. Like, I, you know, let's go for it. So I got up to the front of the class, and I don't know, maybe I sauntered or strolled, or maybe I even strutted. I don't know, but I, at least I walked up there. So I got up there, and it was my turn, and you had to, I remember, you know, there was a little bit of like a choir room, so there's kind of stadium seating for the classmates, right? So you're kind of like, I don't know if there was a stage, but you definitely were kind of here, and then your classmates were right there, right, right in your face. And there's a piano over here, and um, so the, the music teacher, you know, did the intro on the piano and got ready for me to sing the few bars of music, and as soon as it was my time to come in, I just proceeded to, like, hack up a lung, like, ugh, you know, like, just hor like horrible, like, and the teacher was kind of like, are you all right? Like, are you going to be okay? Like, we could do this later, and 
I got settled, and I was like, no, no, I'm fine. This, this, this is going to be great, <laughs> which is obviously was a sign from God that maybe it was time to put the brakes on. But I pressed through. So the music came back out, came back on, and, uh, you know, it was time for me to chime in. And what I wanted to have come out of my, my mouth was the sweet sound of an angel. <laughs> like those beautiful choir boy songs, you know, that you might like see that are just like, oh, you know, it's just this like perfect thing. You're just thinking, that's going to be me, obviously, because why not? I've never had anything in my experience to shoot me down otherwise. And, but instead of hearing the sound of an angel, I quickly learned that when you're in sixth or seventh grade and your body is hitting puberty, that your voice changes, but not all at once. You know, you don't start being this little boy and then talking like this. That's not how it works. It only happens incrementally, slowly, and maybe even when you try to sing. So as I opened my mouth, it was just like nails on chalkboard, guys. It was just, it was horrible. It was cracking. It was pretty brutal. I don't remember exactly how it sounded, but I just know it wasn't great. And thankfully, my classmates were awesome. They didn't actively like ridicule me. And there wasn't these stories of like this bullying, you know. But like when I was singing, you could see their faces and everything was like, <laughs> you know, just kind of cringing, just the pain in there. It's like, make it stop. So I pressed through, I pressed through. And uh, as the music ended, I remember feeling just like so relieved that the uncomfortable experience was over, right? It was just like, oh, sweet. But I also had this really, really feeling of just like deep shame that I just really sucked at singing. And that kind of stayed with me. And to make matters worse, my best friend, he did sound like the angel, you know? That was, that was and he still kind of does. I love him. He's my best friend, but he's, uh, yeah, he's got a great voice. Tough, uh, it was an easy act to follow, I guess, is the point. Um, but the reason this sticks out to me, though, is that as a kid, even though I was interested in music, I never pursued it wholeheartedly because I believed I was limited and incapable of, uh, you know, sounding good or learning music or anything like this, not to mention just missing out on chances to enjoy and, like, play and be part of music. So without conscientiously being aware of it, anytime I did play guitar or sang music or whatever, I was, I was hyper aware of criticism. I taught myself the guitar just because practicing and performing for a teacher was like too vulnerable. But that's really silly because if you want to get better at something, you should probably have a teacher, right? Like, so is it missing out? You know, and, as, and, and by myself, this wasn't a huge deal because, you know, I just, I didn't care. I didn't care what I thought about myself. I was worried about what other, other people thought. So when it was just me, I could hum and sing and jam and do everything I wanted. But when I had to do it for other people, it was like, this is too vulnerable. This hurts. But uh, so thankfully, as I got older, you know, I started to warm up to the idea that, okay, maybe I can overcome my own misgivings. And thankfully, I had a chance to play uh, guitar and sing in our small group. Now, I'm not sure how, many, how much folks came out just because I was playing, like, in the small group. They're like, we got to go because John's playing. Like, I don't know if that's true. Uh, <laughs> But I seemed not to scare anyone away. And more importantly, it seemed like a meaningful time of worship to God for others. And I know it was a meaningful time for me for worship. So some people even said thanks. So getting a positive reception and feeling like people could worship God was really encouraging and confidence building in me. And it began to shine light in like a dark place. So I didn't magically overnight feel comfortable to jump up in front of you all and play. In fact, I still felt pretty darn nervous. But thanks to Lindsay and others for their awesome encouragement getting me through the nerves. It was something that God was working on me with, and he was using community to help. 
Now, I'm not talking about, um, I'm not trying to share my story to talk about how I'm getting better or worse or how good or not good I am about music. I'm talking about how being vulnerable in community has led God to bring healing in my life. He changed and is changing the way in which I view myself. Where there was shame, there is healing, restoration, regaining some of that childlike confidence and joy. And this is what community does. This is how God meets us when we choose community. And this is how God has met me. God has taught me to have faith that he will meet us when I choose to go outside myself. Selfishly, I want to kind of hole up and protect myself. Unsurprisingly, though, this shuts out everyone else, including God. However, it is through the grace of God that I can put myself out there to connect with others. And in those connections, God is showing me his grace and his love. So I'm finding God in the spiritual practice of community. Now, that's going to do it for my part of the talk. But now we get a chance to try to practice this a little bit ourselves. So uh, I think uh, last week, if you were here, you saw an awesome modeling of some sharing from Chris. They taught us how to listen and then resonate. And so we're going to be doing a little bit of kind of a similar thing today because um, when you want like five minutes to practice community, it's kind of like, well, how do you do that? So what I want you to do is you're going to take two minutes to think to yourself, where ha- with whom have I been vulnerable? In what community ha- have I been vulnerable? And then the second part of that question is, and how has God met me there? Okay. Now your answer might be, God has not met me. Ah, angst. Okay, that's cool too. We can work with it. But you might find yourself after further reflection to realize, oh, cool, God really is meeting me. I'm, I'm seeing Jesus in a new way and I'm seeing myself in a different way too. So I want you to th- reflect on that for two minutes, like I said. And then uh, just as Chris talked about last week, uh, I want you to share with someone else who's not your significant other, who's not the person you always sit next to or talk to. Now you don't have to get crazy, but... Uh, you know, maybe turn to the person behind you or in front of you. And you're going to share and listen and resonate, okay? So I will call it out. I'll give you two minutes, and then I'll say, okay, go find that person. And then you're going to share for two minutes or three minutes, and then I'll say, hey, it's time to transition. And then you're going to transition and listen for like three minutes, okay? All right. Two minutes, go. There are a question, to, again, to think on the topic. Where have I been vulnerable? In community. You know, with, what kind of community is that? Where? And how has God met me? Two parts. One, where am I being vulnerable? Two, how has God met me? You can if you want to. If you need to think loudly, then okay. But... <laughs> Give it 30 more seconds to, uh, to have a thought in your brain, and then you can pair up.
Okay, thank you for thinking of something. If you want to partner up and share, do that right now. And then I'll say in about three minutes, have one person choose to go first. And then in about three minutes, I'll say, hey, time for the other person to listen. So go. So first of all, thanks everyone for participating in that activity. And the second is as we go through our week, you know, just try to see how you can keep your eyes out for maybe what's God doing in community and how you might be stretched a little bit to participate in that. Um, so I'm just going to pray for us quick, and then we're going to transition to uh, the music with Brad, and he'll take it from there. Father God, we thank you for this chance this morning to um, be together in community, to be vulnerable with others, to share, to connect, to understand that you are working in our lives and in others. God, give us the grace to love others and to um, meet them where they're at and to help and to uh, just share your love. So we thank you uh, for your sacrifice on the cross and this time of Lent to prepare ourselves for celebrating uh, your resurrection. In your name, amen.